give me give me your guess. Don't look. Give me your guess as to what Dexcom's earnings growth was in last quarter's financials. <laughs> Price to sales of ten. I don't care. It better be infinity. Yes, that's what it was. <laughs> This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Doogles, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Morning, Doogles. How's it going? Is it a good morning, actually? Is it a good morning? Yeah, I mean, I'll get some lucky charms in my cereal bowl here shortly, and it'll oh. be just great. <laughs> well, very specific. I wouldn't have put you on the lucky charms. The marshmallows? Yeah, I don't actually like lucky charms. I was trying to make banter with you because okay. you seem like you're in a really good morning mood, and I'm curious why. I, I mean, I just got the Kanye on my brain, the yay yay <laughs> on my brain. That's why. Today's going to be a day, my friend. Just I, like yesterday? Exactly. And what about tomorrow? Another day. But today, I'm going to spend time talking to you about weight loss drugs. So excited. Does this mean <laughs> in our older years, I think we all have to watch what we eat a little more? Does this mean I just don't have to care about my caloric intake anymore? That's kind of the center of this whole thing, is that question. And obviously, the answer is not going to be, yeah, that's exactly what it means. But that's what people are thinking. Are you cool if I take us down a little trip? for a while absolutely i'd love to uh be educated on this okay so the reason headline here the reason why this has been seared into my soul over the past little bit is because a significant portion of my portfolio is made up of a stock called dexcom which is a diabetes stock that is why it's been like seared into my soul i think it's interesting even outside of that because of what it impacts but that's why it's been seared into my history that's why my ancestors are curious about this is because of Dexcom. Yeah. And do I remember right? Dexcom's more than 20% of your holdings. I mean, like it's a big one, yeah. right? Yeah. It was a bigger one. We're going to get into that. <laughs> it was so, a bigger one. Yeah. So you're watching the price of the stock move mm -hmm. based on a narrative related to weight loss, which would impact uh, diabetes drugs, correct? Yes. And that forces you because it's such a large holding to really dive in and try and figure out if that narrative is true. Exactly. And have conversations with people that understand what's up, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. And it was very nice of you to say watching the stock price move, because that implies there could be multiple directions, which I appreciate. All right. I got your back. I mean, I know <laughs> in real life, it just goes down, but yes, exactly. <laughs> but it, it's like, it's, uh, it's mind blowing. It's so interesting. But Dougal's, it used to go up for the record. So like it does move. Oh, that, that is true. Historically, historically, it does. Here's what we're about to do. First of all, there are these three weight loss drugs. There's more out there, but there are three that are taking the American psyche all up, probably outside of America, but I'm mostly going to talk about America because of how chubby we are in this yeah, country. We lead the world in chubbiness, I think. Mm -hmm. Chubbs.com. So <laughs> actually, that might be a thing. So that has nothing to do with this. But there are three that we're going to talk about. Ozempic? Hold on. PSA. Do not go to chubs.com. I have no clue what it is, but it could be bad. <laughs> yeah, that's true. At least not on your work computer. So there are three we're going to discuss. Ozembic, Wegovi, and Monjaro. 
Now, those are, are they the, all the same with different names? Because that's that's my first question for you, Diggles. Like, how they are, are they very similar? There are they they're similar-ish. There are two that are very similar. The first ones, Ozembic and Wigovi, are very similar. They're both made by Novo Nordisk, which is a Danish company, and then Monjarno is made up is made by Eli Lilly in the U.S. So they're similar. The first two are very similar. They're just for different purposes. So I'll I'll spit on that in a second here. First, why is this important? Why is this important? We're going to talk about the U.S. for a second here. So we mentioned the chubbiness of the U.S. Since 1975, which is this chart that I pulled up, the U.S. has gone from approximately 12% of people, of adults, that were technically obese to now we're looking something north of 40%. So got real chubby. In the, the 1980s is from... The research I've done, it seems like that's when it really started. We don't need to get into the why, but just people, weight is a thing in the US. That's that's the biggest deal. You know what's then, fascinating about the why? We're not going to talk about it, but there's been like seven different hypotheses that all seemed like they were maybe believable and then are in some ways have been disproven. Like when you look at these charts, the why should be so obvious and it seems like it's still... There's not a consensus around the why, but that's just a side tangent. Sorry, go. Next, what happens with weight? Diabetes is one of the things. Many things happen. Diabetes. One of them. Diabetes in this country has gone from, if you look at even the last 20 years, we're talking from around 10% to about 14% diabetes rate. And much of that is uh, is undiagnosed, like about 4% of that is undiagnosed, but in total, we believe it's something about 14%. So if you look at the population of the U.S., you're talking 30 million people, diabetes, something like that, roughly, a little over. So those are the two big trends that are important. One note on what diabetes is, and I am not a doctor, even though Skippy always calls me Dr. Douglas, I'm yeah. not a doctor. But diabetes, in short, is when you have too much sugar in your blood. So there's this thing called insulin, which regulates your blood sugar levels, and you get an get diabetes type one, diabetes type two, diabetes type one is basically you're born with it because maybe it's Maybelline. I shouldn't be making those jokes about this, but no, but di diabetes type one is when it, it happens to you. I'll call it naturally. You can develop it, but typically it's when you're born with it. And so that's when your body doesn't produce enough insulin. So the blood sugar in your body is everywhere. Diabetes type two generally comes because of health, diet. It's caused by folks generally that's again this is a general statement and so that's when your your body just it gets off whack and can't regulate your diabetes either way insulin becomes really important and so monitoring your blood sugar is really important and then getting insulin into your body when you need it that's the short version why am i talking about diabetes diabetes and weight go hand in hand to a certain extent at least the very one is highly correlated and causal of the other, not necessarily, but it can be, right, in weight to diabetes. And so we've got these weight loss drugs, which is impacting a few things, but some of them is diabetes stocks. All right, that's just like high level context. You got questions in the context before we go in? I love the background. I think you kept it simple. I have a question. When Dexcom is exploding with growth, you have a large portion of your portfolio there. Are you actively going around the grocery store looking for really tasty, high sugar goods and saying, this is going to make America fatter. 
and I'm going to make some money off that. Is that was that ever happening for you, Douglas? More so, I move those things to visibility levels, <laughs> the very front of the store. Just wh- and wherever, started going around handing them to people. No, it's a joke. Uh, no, I obviously don't do that. It was actually uh, when was it? Gosh, it was sometime recently when I was talking to my wife, and two things were happening. Dexcom gone off the rocker in the upwards direction yeah. and McDonald's hit its all time high profits. Yeah. And we were like, crap. Uh, and I was talking to a friend of mine who also who works in the uh, the diabetes space, not for Dexcom, but works in the diabetes space. And I was like, is this is this OK? And he was like, people are if, if people could just not have diabetes, I think we would all be happier. But if they're going to have it having effective ways to help them to, to treat it, it. Yeah. is great. Yeah. So, all right. yeah. So, th- so there's that. And on that note, when I mentioned you have to measure your blood sugar, what this used to look like in the, in the olden days, it still does for a bunch of people. But if I look at like older technology, what you'd have to do is prick your finger so you can measure your blood glucose level. A mm-hmm. little bit of pain. It only gets a snapshot. Right, oh, what that looks great. like, yeah, not yeah, a great, not, approach, not great. Right? So what happened is you've got these. This is what di- this is what Dexcom does. You have these devices that are called continuous glucose monitors (CGM), and so it's something that you wear. And twenty four seven, it's measuring your blood glucose. So it's much easier for people like Nick Jonas, as an example, mm-hmm. <laughs> people like Nick Jonas to be able to measure their blood glucose. Are you turning the podcast into a Dexcom ad at this point? I need anything to Nick get the stock to go back <laughs> up. Anything. One other thing is cool, and then we'll get back to this. One other thing that's cool is uh, Dexcom does NIL stuff, so name, image, likeness for college athletes. Ooh, there we go. But, yeah, what they what they do, it's not like your typical NIL money where they just throw it at like the best athletes. They find athletes with diabetes, and it's basically an advertisement for how you can succeed and live with and thrive with diabetes. It's kind of an interesting play. Love it. And that concludes the Dexcom advertising on the Skippy and Diggles podcast. No, let me do one for PSA. Now. And then I found it so fascinating. I'm, I'm glad we're doing this. We are doing our usual banter and joking about this, but it's it's a very real issue that we are sympathetic to. So just PSA. Yeah, yeah. It's very Back serious. Thank you for that. Programming. Very serious. Okay, now to the drugs. So to your question, are they similar? Are they different? What's the, what's the deal? I'm going to first talk about the first two. Ozembic and Rigovi. So 2012, researchers over in Denmark at Novo Nordisk, they started looking into this uh, this thing called semaglutide. I'm not going to go into all the science, partially because I don't fully understand it. And also, it's not necessary here. But semaglutide, so that's what both of those drugs use semaglutide. So the, the base is effectively the same for them. Um, and this would be a once-a-week treatment that you have uh, and it took five years, roughly, for them to like go through to test it, develop, like go through all the trials and all that, that whatnot. And then 2017, it gets released and approved as Ozembic, semaglutide Ozembic. And what it is approved for is diabetes treatment. So they're saying people with diabetes can use this drug. It produces insulin. It helps to like as a side effect, you will suppress your appetite. So people don't even think about eating, right? For a while, people will lose weight, and also it's effective for diabetes. Another clarification: Is this a 
diabetes only treatment or has it moved to a place where it's being prescribed for all types of weight loss? Ozembic, diabetes only. Okay. Then in 2021, so a couple years ago, a higher dose of that same semaglutide was approved and released under the brand name Wegovi. And this was approved for anti-obesity. So it's the same base. Wegovi is, is a higher dosage, but same base. But one is approved for diabetes. That's Ozembic. One is approved for anti-obesity. And um, where I'm using the, the phrase weight loss loosely, but anti-obesity is an important point because it is approved for people that ha- are in a condition that if you do not lose weight, like it is life-threatening. That's the, that's the point of it. Interesting. Okay. So, and I'm going to, I'm going to hit on that a little bit more. Um, one other thing that is important, uh, just as a, a high level point is the way that it works is there's this hormone that's GLP one and the hormone GLP one is what stimulates insulin in the body. And so these two drugs, they are like a stimulant for GLP one. They get that gone. That gets the insulin gone. That's how they work. Okay. Just, it's an, just an important point to keep in mind. As we go in to the other drug, Monjarno. Monjarno, as I mentioned, is an Eli Lilly drug. And this works off of terzepatide, so a little bit different. And the reason I brought up the GLP-1 is because with Monjarno, what it does is it, it pokes at the GLP-1, and then it also has this GIP receptor that it pokes at. And so both of those get into action. And so it's a from anything I've read, it's a more effective drug. Than the other two, so that's Eli Lilly. Both diabetes treatment and weight loss is um, more effective. Uh, it's more effective for weight loss. I don't know. Yeah. I've read this more effective for weight loss. I don't know about diabetes, but it's approved for diabetes. Okay. So Ozembic and Monjaro are diabetes drugs. Wegovi is weight loss. Everybody in the club getting tipsy over all of it mm-hmm. for weight loss. Yes, because weight loss is the vanity thing. That exactly. Yes. Exactly. All right. Thank you for bearing with me for all that. It's really important context. So these drugs, as I mentioned, 2017 Ozembic, 2021 was Wegovi, 2022 Monjaro. So all of them relatively new with two of them being very new and they are blowing up because of weight loss. Do you have any numbers? Because they're frequently talked about but i don't know i have no idea how frequently they're prescribed i found numbers i don't know what to believe and what's been audited you know all that kind of stuff but there was something that i this seems wild what i'm about to say (laughs) but just take it for what it is i saw something that said that ozembic accounted for more than 65 percent of total prescriptions at the end of 2022 I don't think that can be true. <laughs> like, I how really could, don't how think could that, that be, true? be true? I don't know how that could be true. The In the first six months of 2023, I saw something that said that sales of Ozembic and Wegovi rose by 58% and 363% respectively. Yeah. And I think that they're in the like low tens of billions, like something like that, I believe. Um, and so, but f- percentages without absolute values are, are kind of difficult. And... I saw the more than 65% of prescriptions. I saw something that was like $20 billion a year. It's like hard to, I, I can't, I couldn't quite figure it out, but they're blowing up. 
Like okay. regardless, they're blowing up and it's not small numbers because you have, when you have a company like Anovo or Eli, when they're pushing things out, they're so big that if a drug is a billion dollars, it's like not as interesting anymore as it was 20 years ago. So, you know, they've got to be, they got to be producing some kind of numbers. So blowing up, up, up the Wazizi and it's taking stocks down with it. To your point, it's narrative at this point. We don't really know what the impact's going to be. But some of the, I was reading some, I've read like testimonials of people that are on the drugs, everything from Reddit to in articles to people out in the world that we know that are taking them. Mm -hmm. From what I hear, it's basically like magical, like weight melts off of you. Now, if you get off the drug, that weight comes back. Like and instantly? Like, that, that's from what I've been reading and hearing. Yeah. That's the way it is. Because it's not, these aren't behavior change drugs. It's like your, your appetite is just suppressed. I would like read things like, I literally forget to eat. I have to set an alarm to remind myself to eat because I forget to eat. Like it just shuts off your, your appetite. Um, so it's a pretty big deal there. And so what that means is you're on the drug for years. If you get off the drug, every, like all the results go away. And insurance becomes a really fascinating thing here because there are a lot of people trying to use this stuff that are not within the guidelines and it's expensive. We're talking, I saw somewhere between like raw price, $1,300 to $1,600 a month. This is the same. Um, we should caveat this. It's expensive in America. The rest of the world, I've seen prices yeah. around a hundred bucks a month, which is a whole other yeah, Challenge. but we're, we're talking about American weight and American diabetes here. Okay. You're absolutely right. Okay. Everything caveat. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, and with the prescription numbers I threw out that don't seem like they're quite real, I don't know if that's U.S. or yeah, international. Sure. It doesn't seem real either way, <laughs> but I don't know what those numbers are based off of. That's a great caveat because it's U.S. So so it's, it's like it's really, really interesting to see what's going to happen with these drugs from a few different angles. Uh, one is, will people, are they going to, is it a fad or will people use them over time? When is the shoe going to drop as to the side effects? Because something that's magical yeah. always and has something going or on. Or potentially the side effect that's an absolute deal breaker, right? And what uh, I was reading this, what I found to be interesting, uh, like thread basically from a bunch of doctors that were talking about it. And they said, yeah, there are some like studies have shown there's some pretty serious life-threatening side effects. And if you are someone where obesity is life-threatening for you or it's diabetes, they said it's worth the risk because they are very effective. Believe it, if you're yeah. trying to lose 10 pounds to fit into your prom dress or whatever, well, you shouldn't, if you're a teenager, shouldn't be taken anyway. But if you're trying to lose 10 pounds to into like your dress for a wedding, it is not worth it for the potential like side effect that you might have because they're, it's small percentage, but very impactful. It's one of those types of situations yep. for the yep. uh, side effects. But, but they're new, um, so we're going to see. And then from what I've seen so far, of course, they're going to say things like this. But what I've seen from um, Abbott, so Abbott Labs and Dexcom are competitors in this space. Uh, Abbott's much bigger, of course, but um, Abbott has its own continuous glucose monitor. So, so they're competitors in this space. And they've both come out and said, everything that we've seen is that when people are using these drugs, they actually commit more to their glucose monitoring 
And so they go very well hand in hand. Like we see usage go up and sales go up from people that are using these drugs. That is what they both said. Of course, they're going to say things like that because everything's so negative, but but there's nothing that's shown that it's going to have a negative impact on them, but the stocks are getting hit quite hard. So I'll just give you a, a couple numbers. Yeah, I mean, the, the high level on that, it, I'd just like to understand more because if you're on one of these drugs, it seems like your glucose monitoring, I'm not saying you would remove it because it still serves a purpose for you, but it seems like it should be less impactful for you because your glucose is being controlled by the drug. That would make intuitive sense. Um, I believe what it, if, if what they are saying is the case, what it would be is that you're just more conscientious. Okay. The people, the people that are using the drugs, the people that are really committed to managing their diabetes. And so therefore are using all the things. I think that's, that's basically what they're saying. We'll see. Time will tell. So on stocks, just give a, a couple highlights. And there's a lot of correlation causation in some of this. And in some of it, it's just straight causation. So Pepsi over the last two months, roughly, is down 15%. I'm just going to use Pepsi as a symbol of like snacks, junk yep. food, kind of. So if you look at Kraft, Pepsi, right, that kind of stuff. Walmart's US CEO came out and said that customers are buying less units and consuming slightly less calories. What I find, the reason I bring that up is because it's Walmart. Like if Walmart's seeing lower grocery sales, that's a pretty big um, impact. And where they have their stores, I think is interesting. Yeah, we actually need to talk about this. So that Walmart quote is terrifying to me. And I'll tell you why. The way it reads, it says that users of these drugs are buying less, which would mean they are doing a study on the back end linking, and I'm sure they're claiming that they don't have the person's identity, but they're linking their prescriptions to their purchasing habits. It just crosses a line. I mean, of course, it feels of course. When you when you walk up into a, I don't know this, but when you go into, I'm trying to make this generic. So an establishment, right, where everything is under one roof, and you buy everything under that roof. I think you have to assume that the things that you buy under that roof are are being on the back end tracked. Oh, like I think about. The Costco. When, the, when you yeah. actually make public statements about okay, well, it, it's yeah, one sure, thing okay, for them to right. do the internal analysis that we know is happening and is a little creepy. It's another to go to Wall Street and talk about. It. Yeah, yeah. So Pepsi, as I mentioned, fifteen percent. We got this Walmart thing. Where the real impact's coming is in the straight up diabetes space. Davita, which is a a kidney dialysis company, since July is down thirty seven percent. It dropped about twenty percent. Last week, like in one day, yeah. Dexcom is down forty six percent since since July. It's really fascinating, like watching because that's a to go back to what you said. The narrative, it's all narrative at this point. We don't know which direction it's going to go, but they're getting hit quite massively. And so it's an area for me because of Dexcom. I've been all up in this, as I mentioned, but also just like digging through the dirt to see like what. What might be narrative? What might not be? What could be interesting? What are the signs that something might just be narrative and not full story? It's, it's an interesting thing to start to look at in this market. Okay, so with Dexcom specifically, I'd say there's two main factors that have that I would guess have driven the stock price. One is the 
the trend since 1980 and a general thought that this is a wrong term, but you'll know what I mean, that diabetes might be a growth market and say as of 2020 or 2021. Yep. yep. Then there's the actual like results, their sales, their profits, all those. At this point, it's probably too early in the game to have had much change uh, from the financial perspective in terms of the results, right? We could just say it's too early to know. They're telling a story that says nothing's changing. If anything, engagement is going up. So you'd think that lead to better results. From a top and bottom line perspective, it'd only be like leading indicators and not not fully hit. It's going to be the guidance from the company. It's probably going to make a big difference. Like saying that we trust the guidance. Dexcom is a very well-run organization. And so the guidance of the company is going to be what's most important. And then also probably comparing that to what Abbott says, which is also like a they've been around for a while. And yeah. right, it's going to be important what the guidance is. But I think you're probably right that the numbers might not be the big thing. I mean, and so I brought this up at least to you, maybe on the pod. But in July, Dexcom released its last quarter's financials. And they crushed, like absolutely, like crushed. The, the Dexcom was up 7% in one day, right? They absolutely crushed it. And they crushed it and then started immediately coming down. <laughs> like It's basically what happened and until they got to where they are now. And so the most likely scenario, if it's on that same trajectory, is that this quarter, Dexcom's financials will also look great. And the market is just going to say it's all about guidance at this point. But that's where, that's where I'm saying point two is what really matters. It's the story behind it being a growth market. And I think that was unknowable from the start. Like there was no guarantee about what your target market in 2045 was going to be, but yep. there were some reasonable trends to say yep. that that's bigger than it is. And we're a good player in the space. I think it's possible to say that that market has changed significantly because of these drugs. Possibly. We won't know for years. And honestly, we won't really fully know for years because they're so new. It's the what we talk about in the investing space generally all the time is just when something is so magical. We were just talking about the viral charts last week. Yeah. When something, anything that looks extraordinary should require extraordinary evidence. And what the market is saying right now is what it is seeing is extraordinary evidence that's coming out. And we just have to see over the long term. What that ends up looking like. All right. Well, you're in trouble because I'm going to hit you with some value investor stats. No, oh, here we go. I'm afraid, Diggles, that Dexcom is not cheap. Oh, no, absolutely not. That thing is, it's probably like come down to 100 PE ratio or something <laughs> at this point. You're, you're literally killed me. I was over here getting pretty sympathetic with your swan song about how unfair it is that the narrative has changed. When I pull up your stock that you said has gone down, what, 46%? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the current price to sales ratio is above 10, Dougals. You got to make me go Sun Microsystems on you. Give me, give me your guess. Don't look. Give me your guess as to what Dexcom's earnings growth was in last quarter's financials. <laughs> price to sales of 10, I don't care. It better be infinity. Yes, that's what it was. <laughs> okay. No, but the market, um, it's, it's, pri it's priced for like incredibly strong growth. Earnings grew by about 130% last quarter. Like that is what the market is saying. You have to do that for a little while. Like we are expecting that you keep doing that. Okay. So 
I'd like to talk. I don't know if you're willing to talk about this publicly, but I'd like to talk about what you're thinking about this. If it's possible that you might potentially sell. Oh, no, not possible at all. It's likely because of what it's doing. If Dexcom doesn't turn around, it's likely that at the end of this year, I sell Dexcom, which will be sad. I've held Dexcom for years. Um, Because you let the model make the decision, right? Exactly, because the model makes the decision. So 0% chance I'm selling. If this was a case of, if this was something I owned in my non-model portfolio, I might have more nuance to it, but I'm not selling because I'm not selling. I think it's a fascinating case because I could have, I do have like similar stories that drive stocks. And the easiest one to talk about is Kohl's, who is an absolute dumpster fire, like more so than it ever has been. (laughs) And- the I'm dumpster fire you love to love. Where they were like, you know, retail sales was poor. No one really knew what their strategy was. There were all these reasons why the stock came down. But in that case, the stock came down to a $3 billion market cap when it had been consistently profitable. And the real estate was valued at $8 billion. So it's not price to sales of 10. Like, I can't get excited about Dexcom for you as much as I wanted to because I was like, Dougal's is going to tell me that it's cheap and this is a buying opportunity, but it's not. I'm, I might tell you it's a buying opportunity. I won't tell you it's cheap. What I'll tell you is, and you're not going to care about any of this stuff, but for the sake of our listeners that might, here's what I will tell you. So the last few times that Dexcom's done something like this, it was, let's see, this one, it was up 80% within about four months of when it went down. The next time it was up 65% within about five months after it was down. And then the last time, which was last year, it was up, say, 60% within four months and 90% within the next 12 months. So it's a volatile stock, first of all. Uh, and going back to the, the like management and guidance point is people trust the company and that's where I, I, I think this, they, Dexcom has earnings in 12 days. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see what they say and how the market reacts. You know who you just sounded like? The Bitcoin crowd. When it gets cut in half and they just go, oh, well, if you look at performance since 2011, when it was five cents, it's now $20,000. The thing always comes back. Yeah. No. You know why I don't, though? I, I, hear, I hear what you're saying. I hear you're joshing. But why I don't? is because this company produces money. <laughs> Fair. Like I'll that is you, the, I'll give you that point. That that is the thing. It's like the difference is that this organization produces money, which is what we like in our investments. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's actually the definition of an investment. Um that's exactly that it. Produces. Right. And so so the market's going to say, are you are you going to come out and tell us that a actually we have a problem? B, it's a wait and see game, or C, sales are juicing because of these drugs. And in those three different scenarios, which obviously is a lot of nuance in each of them, the first two, the stock will either stay around where it is or probably drop another 20%. And that last one, it's going to go back to its Dex comic ways. See what you did there. So I actually have a solution that would make both of us happy. Uh, Dexcom's current market cap is 29 billion. 
Kohl's right now is only running a $2 billion market cap. Why can't Dexcom buy Kohl's for like, you know, something reasonable, like $6 billion. And then everybody's <laughs> happy. Hold on. Hold on. I mean, they could have done that if they just did that three months ago. They've lost $6 billion. Like during that period and of time, people easy. would be like, so, "We got this hot yeah. new dumpster fire." <laughs> Who cares what's happening with the weight loss drugs? All your dumpster fire shall belong to us. Please, please bring it in. This is fascinating. I appreciate you walking uh, me through that. I didn't think we were getting Doctor Doogles, medical Doctor Doogles today. It, well, you know, he comes out when he needs to come out. It is one of those things where I enjoy, and this is this is one of the differences between our models, potentially, it depends on what your spits out, is that I do enjoy when there are organizations that I end up holding for longer periods of time. Yeah. That there's like a, there's an investment, like a, a human investment. I mean, that I end up making in them. Some of them, like m- most of the things I buy come in and go back out, right? That's most of them end up doing that. But then there's some that end up getting held for years. And it actually, even though I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to sell at least what it does. See what you didn't ask me though. What you didn't ask me, is this a buying place? Because after I looked at the fundamentals, I was terrified to ask that question. <laughs> I don't want, of... <laughs> if the answer is yes, I don't want to know. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. End scene. So I have a, a Yimby, NIMBY moment. <laughs> okay. Yimby is yes in my backyard. NIMBY is not in my backyard. I think about four months ago, we broke down a study with IRS tax audits. Oh, yeah. And showed something fairly obvious. That is, if you audit the ta- top 1%, the top 5%, the top 10%, the return on investment there is potentially massive because you can spend whatever, 80 hours to audit the individual and get, as Dougals would say, buku wuku. Like, True. If you're making 100 million bucks a year, it's a lot better than if you're making... 40,000 a year, even if you, in either case, if the taxes are filed incorrectly. So according to the Wall Street Journal this week, the IRS will change and is going to focus on doing more audits to high income earners. I doubt I make the thresholds here, but this is all, I'm a Yimby on this. This makes just sense, but please don't audit me, IRS. (laughs) So hold on. You can't, if you're a Yimby, that means yes in my backyard. So That's how can a, you be a I'm Yimby? a Yimby and a NIMBY, which is, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm just a NIMBY when it relates to me. So you're acknowledging a thing may or may not take place in my backyard. <laughs> no, I'm joking, obviously. I think this is probably good. I, my, I mean, my larger point here is like, help me help the people in the 1% make sure that we can do this correctly because I think the large, large majority of Americans are trying to do this fairly. But maybe I'm, maybe that's a poor assumption. Maybe there's a bunch of people trying to run tax scams here. What's fascinating here is I would, I'm going to say two things that I think are the exact same thing, but the nuance makes them not so much, is I would say that most likely people are trying, are not trying to run tax schemes and people are trying to underreport their income. But I don't think they those people don't equate that to a tax scheme. That that that's what I that's what I think uh, is kind of nuanced, yeah. right? Um, and a lot of these people, how many how many people that are in the, I don't know what what number to choose, one million plus. I'm not sure if that's the right number. Tax bracket 
that are doing their own taxes? I would think it's pretty small. And so the question is, what's the conversation that happens between them and their accountant? Like, are they hiding things from their accountant? Or are they saying, I want you to get me to pay the least amount that I possibly can? I don't know. I'm not sure what the conversation is. Uh, I mean, is. I'm going to try and not hop up on the soapbox here, but I interface with a lot of those accountants. And I think they're in a tough spot where they want to uh, feel like they're adding value. And I think those high net wealth individuals, the way they see value is if they feel like they're getting some cutting edge tax advice and savings that comes with it. Now there's ways to do that. And hopefully this is what's done that are perfectly legal, but there's also ways to do that that are living in the gray areas. And it's a tough one. But from what, uh, but from what the IRS was saying, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it seemed like there's a significant portion that said that it, the loss of money or like not collection of money came from underreported income. Like it seemed like yeah. that was pretty material. And the thing that I didn't know is, is, is that like tax fraud or is it just people not reporting their income? It's, it's both. Um, no, and, and I know, yeah. but you know, from, from the individual standpoint, I mean, you know, no, they're saying the opportunity is near 700 billion and 500 billion of that is unreported income. So yeah, it's material. I mean, this is not like, I don't know, 20 bucks showing up in your Venmo account. This is yeah. uh significant. I forgot I sold those houses. <laughs> I forgot I won oh. Survivor. You know, <laughs> like that's the kind of thing we're talking about. Oh, I won Powerball. I have to report that. Wait, you yeah. guys are serious? Uh, I earned that. <laughs> What's in your fishbowl? <laughs> I'm gonna. This is. I'm gonna walk through this somewhat quickly because it's long, but it is entertaining, and y'all should check out the Substack to read it. This is in Business Insider. It's called The Great Zell Pool Scam. Entertaining piece. Long, but entertaining piece. So please do go and read it. But I'm going to give you the quick version of this. What I love about this, so this is the fraud, as it says. It's a fraud piece. What I, what I love about this piece is that it represents an example of someone being defrauded who is, I don't know this, this person, I don't know Devin Friedman, but from what I read, is intelligent person with an intelligent partner that got defrauded and not the 95 year old who picked up the phone call from the Apple customer service person, you know, like the kind of the stereotypical defrauding thing. And so I like that it raises the awareness of like, yeah, if you're just in your early thirties and you're a smart person, like a normal job, like it can happen to you. So, so be on the lookout. All right. So here's the, here's the real short version. He and his wife want to get a pool as one does They're you know, they're doing like a, Susan of keeping up with the Joneses. And they're like, this is our thing. This is the next thing to do, right? Get ourselves a pool. So they want to get themselves a pool. So they go to Royal Palace Pools and Spas. Like, sounds so fancy. This guy named Gary is the owner of the pool place. And they want to get their pool from Gary. Gary's like, pools are really popular right now. So it's going to be a little while, right? But check back. So they check back. Gary says, cool, it's time. It's going to be like 30 grand to get this pool. They saved up so much money to get this pool. They're excited to get it. And so they, they start the process that Gary tells them to go down, which is give me a call. It's going to cost this amount. We'll invoice you. Contractors are going to come. He kind of like lays everything out. And then things start to get a little weird. And this is where the, I'd say from the mindset perspective, it becomes important 
for people to not get so caught up in the emotion of what they wanted in the outcome. It's hard to do, but things get a little bit weird. So what starts to happen is they start calling Gary at the office and Gary starts not being available. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, so we paid this deposit of $30,000 and Gary's not available. What's going to happen? Uh, okay. They gave him $30,000 up front when the total cost was going to be $30,000. Is that correct? Yes. And there's a caveat to that. The $30,000 came up front. The $30,000 didn't come in one piece. Okay. So th- as I mentioned, things started to get a little weird where they call and they'd be like, where's Gary? Gary's not available. They started to get kind of anxious. And then what happened is they get an email from Gary and the email, they said like, didn't exactly sound like the way Gary was, but it sounded like enough like Gary. And so they get this email that says, okay, it's time for construction to start. And what I need you to do is start zelling me payments. So Zell is a, it's like a consortium of banks have come together to produce this like peer-to-peer payment service. You might know more about it, but that's a great way to commit fraud. Well, no, it's a great way to scam someone because it transfers actual funds. There's no intermediary like a visa. And so if you can, this is also, you mentioned the old school scams, like people calling the 75 year old lady and pretending to be from Amazon or Apple or whatever. They also love Zelle and will try and get to view the computer screen, get into the bank account with the user and say, oh yeah, just Zelle me this because when the money leaves, it's gone. Yeah, there you go. So they start Zelling these payments, $3,500, $3,500, $5,000. And when I say, I'm going to read this part to you because when I say like the emails kind of sounded like Gary, I'll read you the, the quote here. Because the emails were strange. We sometimes had to read them out, out loud. What if you put a period here? Would it then make sense? What if there? What if this was a verb? But Gary's emails had always been a little bit weird. This man ran his company from an AOL account, which I didn't even know that you could still have. So, like, that's the justification, right? It's like a little weird, but Gary's a little weird, and you know, it's like that kind oh, of. Oh man, I see this coming from a thousand miles away. Yeah, it's so I know. Sad. This is where this is where the emotion right comes into play. So they they keep selling, they keep selling. They uh, ask for. Uh, sorry, at that point, is there anything happening? Because a general takeaway is don't pay entirely up front. And it, this sounds like progress payment financing almost. Like if you, if the guy's asking for another five grand, like tell him to dig the hole already. Yeah. It's it, what it sounds like. So I didn't read the exact emails, but from, from the way that it sounds, it seems like the emails kept making enough progress that they emotionally felt like there was progress, but there actually wasn't physical progress, like you mentioned. And so like the planning got more specific, you know, it's like that kind of thing. And so finally they email all the stuff and they said, can we get like a receipt? So they got this receipt on letterhead from the Royal palace pools and spas where there was a typo, but they ignored it. You know, it's like, this is, this is the same kind of stuff. Then in this day in July, they get an email that says, we're down the road. The crew's going to be there. We're going to start eminently. And hours passed and it didn't show up. Anyway, I'm going to skip ahead. At some point, they go into Gary's or they, they call up Gary again. Finally, he's in the office and Gary goes, I haven't emailed you guys in a month. What are you even talking about? And oh, crap. Then this piece goes into them trying to get their money back, which is its own whole like fascinating <laughs> thing. 
Uh, but um, but the short version of this is watch for this stuff because it, it can seem like, and I, I think I've been, I've never been in this situation, right? But I can see situations where it's just like, oh, I, I'm just, I'm a small business. Like, can you just, because it makes it easier? Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll just do that thing that kind of doesn't really seem to make sense, but it's faster. It's, you know, whatever it might be. So read this piece. His writing is very entertaining. It's an interesting look into Zell as a service on its own and just entertaining piece. I personally have a lot of concerns about Zell. I'm not sure that it does. I, I think there might be more negatives than positives because almost every fraud I've heard about in the past three years for individuals involves Zell. Yeah. Oh, and sorry, on the entertaining, on the entertaining piece. Yeah. He splits this up into a few different components and there's after kind of the story goes through, then he, then he gets to this point where he's like, okay, now I need to make some confessions, <laughs> right? It gives you a little bit more detail as to, as to the, what's probably like the embarrassing part of like more embarrassing components of, uh, of how they were duped. So when Gary told us to Zell him, he didn't really tell us to Zell him. He told us to Zell two people we had never met before. What I'm confessing is that we sent $30,500 of our hard-earned money to sunshineyasmin48 at gmail.com and personalbreezy at gmail.com. Yes, someone emailed us and said, hey, will you Zell 30 grand to a perfect stranger who goes by the name Personal Breezy and has no identification except for a Gmail account? And our response was done. Oh, man. One other PSA, and then I'm sure we'll wrap. This happens uh, at much higher levels than the individual. I assume what happened here is these fraudsters had hacked Gary's AOL address and then were able to insert themselves in a conversation. Uh, this definitely happens with banks and other financial institutions and other small businesses where if your email is not secure or sometimes if people could see the emails going back and forth, they could insert themselves and say, oh, that money that you're supposed to wire, we gave you the wrong wire instructions. Like just send it over here. Is it very similar? And then it ends up with, what's his name? Prince Breezy? <laughs> basically, personal Breezy, but yes, personal basically. <laughs> Love it. Oh uh, yeah, I think that's a wrap. All right, guys. Uh, we love listener mail. Hit skippydoogles at gmail.com for that. Doogles mentioned the Substack. You can get there if you just go to skippydoogles.com. And uh, please rate and review the podcast if you get a second. Bye.